First, good to see all of you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there in your Bible or uh, on your touchpad, or if you want to follow along on the screen in just a couple of minutes, uh, we'll be looking at Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. I was talking uh, with a woman in my office several years ago, uh, I'm going back at least 10 years, and she was sharing with me all the things that were going on in her life, and uh, it was, it was a mountain of, of pain and struggle and suffering. Uh, as a pastor, you know, you're kind of used to hearing uh, stories of people who are, who are in the kind of middle of a difficult spot, and you kind of train yourself to, you know, have a pastor face where, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to look contemplative, but you're also trying to look like you actually might have something intelligent to say when they get finished uh, with, uh, with their sharing. And this woman was just in, in so many ways, had so many difficulties, I said, uh, you must really be anxious about all of this. And she said, I'd be anxious, but I'm too busy being worried. I mean, it literally just, just fell out of her mouth. Uh, my experience tells me that, that more of us feel that way than maybe would care to let on, uh, that there are moments of great anxiety, moments of great worry in our lives, not just necessarily from a global perspective, although if you look at our world, there's certainly a lot of things that can, that can make you nervous and, and anxious. I thought about putting some pictures on the screen this morning about that, and I decided not to because it would probably bother me too much, but um, just in our personal lives, in our, in our businesses, in our families, in our relationships, in our, in our schools, uh, our, our friendships, there are so many things that can, uh, that can cause us uh, to fret. And so we come to this passage this morning, Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34, and they're built upon what Jesus has said in a few verses earlier, which we'll get to in just a moment, but Jesus wants us to have a proper perspective so that we will understand how we're to respond when those anxious moments arrive. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, we're actually going to be in this text uh, this morning as well as next Sunday. Hear the word of God. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, uh, probably a good number of us, with some amount of anxiety in our lives. Uh, Maybe it's a small bit. Maybe we're just a little bit concerned about one of our kids or one of our parents, or we have a little bit concerned about 
uh, relationship. Uh, we're trying to figure some things out. Perhaps we've hit a small bump in our career or our business. Uh, Lord, others of us are coming to you with great anxiety and great concerns. We're just not quite sure which way to turn. It was just about all we could do to get here this morning and to uh, try to hold ourselves together. Father, I thank you that it just doesn't matter uh, how we come. (laughs) You welcome us, every one of us, whether we believe or we don't believe. Your arms are open wide and you're inviting us to come and to sit in your presence and to be ministered to in a way that we could never experience any place else in the world. Father, every, every day of every week, 24-7, we are bombarded with the philosophies of man. And at the end of the day, if we, if we look at the, the news around us, it's getting us nowhere fast. In fact, we're, we're probably doing a better job destroying this world than we are building it up. Father, if you don't speak into our lives, we are lost. And so we gather here today, some of us maybe with just a little bit on our mind, maybe others of us with a lot, but all of us needing to hear your truth, that it would be applied to our hearts and minds. So Father, I ask that you would move me out of the way, forgive me for my sin, don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and know about you this morning, Lord Jesus, come and teach your people. We pray in your name, amen. Well, if you've ever had that feeling, I'd be anxious, but I'm a little bit too busy being worried Uh, Jesus has some thoughts for you and for me this morning. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence real quick just to kind of let you know what direction we're going. And this will be the same this Sunday as well as next Sunday as we we really kind of dive into this text and get, uh, get into it a little bit. Anxiety is a deadly sin pattern. Now right off the bat, you'll notice that I'm identifying anxiety as a sin. And I'm doing that because Jesus commands us not to do it. And anything Jesus commands is, therefore, there's a morality to it that is a godly morality. So when Jesus says, don't do that, if I do that, I'm going against Jesus, which means I'm sinning against him. So we can't just let ourselves off the hook and say, well, I'm kind of an anxious person. I'm just kind of wired that way. Anxiety is a deadly sin pattern because it assumes more than it should about our ability to care for ourselves and too little of God's providence. Uh, And as we've said each week, and we'll continue to say while we're in this section of of, uh, of Matthew, what we're after is what the psalmist was after, that undivided heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. We're after that, that undivided heart when it comes to the question of anxiety or worry in our lives. Notice that this passage starts off with Jesus saying, therefore I tell you, Now, I remember back to 8th grade English where my 8th grade English teacher said, you always need to see, when you see a therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? And that's a little goofy way of remembering, but it helps me do that. And, And what he went on to say is you need to look back because when an author or a writer says therefore, they're building their argument of what's coming next on what they just said. So if we go back and we look at what we looked at for the last couple of weeks, Jesus said the following things. In Matthew chapter 6, if you want to go back and read them later on today, verses 19 through 24, Jesus said, do not lay up treasures on earth, rather lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus went on to tell us that if our eye is healthy, in other words, if we were were laying up treasures in heaven, if we had the right perspective for that in our lives, then our body would be full of light. We would be seeing 
the world as we should. And then he reminded us at the end of that teaching, that section of teaching, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So let's, let's take ourselves and, and place ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Lord, we're going to agree. We're going to say that we don't want to be consumed with laying up treasures on earth as our final source of security and well-being and identity. And we want to look at this properly. We want to see it the way we should. And we, we want to reject the notion on a daily basis of serving uh, money and having a divided heart, and we're going to serve God. And Jesus says, good. That's the right way to think. Therefore, let me tell you about some other things. And this next passage assumes that we're going to accept what he said a moment ago and then be aware of some things that could creep into our lives while we are seeking to lay up treasure in heaven and serve God instead of the temporal wealth that can be assumed. So he's calling us to be aware. So I want to give you out of this passage this morning four things that Jesus is calling us to be aware of in order that we would love God with an undivided heart when it comes to the idea of being focused on heaven and eternity instead of just this world. The first thing Jesus says, disciples must be aware that we are tempted to replace the love of money with worry about our own well-being. Say, well, we should replace the, the love of money with the love of God. And yes, that's true. But I think Jesus also understood that as that transition is continually taking place in our lives, because none of us will ever reach the point, this side of heaven, where we have a completely undivided heart. That won't happen until we die and we're with Jesus. While we live on this earth, we still wrestle with our sinful nature. There will be moments when I love money more than God. There will be moments when I'm tempted to go in a different direction other than the calling that God has placed on my life. And at those moments, I need to understand and know what could happen in my life. And when I, when I end up going in the wrong direction, anxiousness finds its way into my life. And it begins to be part of who I am. And so we need to understand that we may be tempted to say, okay, now, now I'm, going to, I'm going to store up treasures in heaven. Boy, that makes me really nervous, right? <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, that, that's how you're going to be tempted to think. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then, and then a little bit later on down to verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So we tend to ask ourselves questions like, if I'm trusting God and building up treasures on heaven, will I have enough right now? Will, 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 will I, as I trust Jesus, will tomorrow be okay? And we tend to forget that if we're trusting Jesus for our eternal, everlasting well-being, we can probably trust him in the short run as well. Jesus isn't in heaven saying, now, as soon as they get here, everything's going to be okay, and, and I'm going to make all things new, but right now, I don't really care what happens to them. Jesus is going to make all things new. There is going to come a day when there is no more brokenness, there is no more sin, there is no more death. All of that is going to be defeated. It's been defeated at the cross of Christ, and it will find its ultimate consummation in the day he returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth, but that doesn't mean he's an absentee landlord in the meantime. It doesn't mean that he's so busy worrying about eternity that he can't be concerned with where we are today. And Jesus wants us to learn to trust him in the short term, given the context that he's provided for all of eternity in our relationship with him. 
Uh, I played soccer in college, which is kind of hard to believe when you look at me today that there was any time when I was really seriously athletic, but, uh, but I did. I played for a small school down at Tennessee Covenant College. We were an NAI team, and every May, the same thing would happen that I absolutely hated. Our soccer coach, this guy named Walt Bowman, who was actually a great soccer coach, we, I think in my, in my four years of Covenant College, we, I, don't, I don't know that we lost 12 games in four seasons. We, had, we were very well coached. But every May, right before we left, Walt would hand us the soccer summer binder. And I hated that binder. I hated it with a passion. Because as soon as you open it up, there would be a nice little greeting about, you know, we're, as we look forward to next season, as we're really excited about, you know, being able to compete next year, let's make sure. And then there was everything that was going to ruin my summer. All the different drills, all the different running, all the different you know, pain that was going to be in my life. And it was really hard for me to look ahead to the end goal, which was the next season, having a successful season. But if I was smart, and I was kind of like halfway smart, I'll give myself halfway smart credit in college, I realized that I could trust Walt. I realized that Coach Bowman knew what he was talking about. And and if I would trust him now, I knew I could trust him when I got to school because he was a great coach. And, and the same should be true of our lives as we look to, to a greater extent, can you trust Jesus? All of Scripture screams yes. The story that Craig shared this morning says yes. Does it mean we won't have problems? No. We will be tempted to be anxious. We don't travel a smooth road just because we're a disciple of Jesus. But we need to understand that we're going to be tempted to worry about our own well-being and we need to guard against that temptation. Well, how do we guard against that temptation? Well, let me give you the the second thing of which we should be aware, and that is this. Disciples must be aware of underlying assumptions that that we bring into the equation. And I'll point you to verses 31 and 32. Here are the questions that Jesus says we ask. What shall we eat? We're consumed with that idea. What shall we drink? We're worried about that. What shall we wear? That's a big one for, for a lot of us. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but there are some assumptions here. An assumption is I ask that question, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? What about tomorrow? There's an assumption that I actually know what I need better than God. (laughs) There's an assumption on my part that I know what course my life should take. Uh, I remember when I was uh, encouraged to take my first ministry job. I was a senior in college. And I already had a job lined up. My second semester, my senior year of college, was one of the most delightful five months of my life because I had a pretty easy class schedule and I had already been hired and I was going to pursue a career in law enforcement. My goal was to be in the FBI. And I remember the day the assistant pastor at the church called me where I was volunteering in the youth ministry. He said, our youth director is quitting and and you ought to apply for this job because you'd be really good with kids. And I thought about ministry and I started laughing. I'm like, really? And now that I look back on that, I've called him many times and apologized for that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't mean to, you know, be so negative about the profession that I've ended up being in, but I thought that was just hysterical. I thought I knew so much better than him or God, for that matter, the direction that my life should take. And the assumption is that I, I know what I need to know. <laughs> that I understand what I need to understand, the course that my life should take. Both of these things, both of these kind of statements, I know what I need better than God, I know what course my life should take, both of these notions think way too much of me and way too little of God. 
And so notice how Jesus frames the context. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, I want to suggest a nuance here that, that may or may not be in the text. So I'm going to kind of go with a little bit of, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about this. So, so don't take this to the bank, but think about it. Most of the time when we read about our Father in heaven in Scripture, when Jesus teaches the notion of fatherhood, he's drawing us into that relationship and he's helping us understand that we are not slaves of God, but that God is actually adopting us into his family through what Christ has done on the cross. And the notion of fatherhood is a notion, and Paul bears it out in Romans, he bears it out in Galatians, where, where we cry out, Abba, Father. We, we're in this relationship, we cry, Daddy. It's a term of intimacy. And that certainly is true in this passage, but I'm wondering if perhaps there was a little bit of edge in Jesus' voice, like the edge that a parent might give when a child is maybe asking the wrong question. Child, your father knows what you need, right? Child, your, your mom understands this. She gets it. The, and this is our experience with our daughter, Katie. Um, Katie always would be the one who would ask the questions. And Katie always assumed that she knew what was best. And Cindy, I came home the other day, and Cindy just had this exasperated look on her face. I walked in the door. Cindy didn't say a word to me. I looked at her. She looked exasperated. I said, so how is Katie? And uh, <laughs> she said, she's taken over the planning of our Christmas time. Katie's, Katie's coming to be a guest in our home, and Cindy was walking through some of the things we were going to do, and Katie was correcting Cindy where all the, all the places where we were making some mistakes to the point where Katie said, well, maybe we shouldn't come. Maybe it'll just be too much trouble. And so I'm looking forward to this afternoon calling my daughter. I wanted to call her this morning, but she's five hours behind in Hawaii, and that would be mean. Um, but I would call her and say, sweetie, your mom knows. And that's a really nice way of saying be quiet you're out of line. You don't know what you think you know. And I wonder if perhaps Jesus has just a little bit of an edge in his voice with his disciples, which every person in this room that is following him is in that category. If Jesus might not be saying to us, child, you're getting a little too big for your britches. Your father knows what you need. Disciples must be aware of some of the underlying assumptions that we bring into this question of anxiety. Thirdly, disciples must be aware that emotional energy spent worrying really is nonsensical. And you might kind of go, well, that's a pretty strong word, Tom. And I would agree. Uh, and, and I think the text bears it out. I think Jesus is saying that to be caught up with anxiety, to let it control you, to let it consume your life, makes no sense given our discipleship of following Jesus and giving the notion that our Heavenly Father is providing for us. In verses 26 and 28 of this text, look at the birds of the air. Then skip the middle one, come down to 28. Consider the lilies of the field. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the creation order shows that God provides for his children. And if you can look around and see it in nature, then how much sense does it make to come to a different conclusion about your own life? It makes no sense. It is nonsensical. Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Which of you, and I'm in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You read the studies that say actually laughter is supposed to add uh, you know, uh, hours to your life. But Jesus is asking a rhetorical question. Does the outcome of anxiety ever make my circumstances better? Does taking all that, all that emotional energy and pour it into worry actually change one thing? For the better? The answer is absolutely not. 
Therefore, Jesus commands us not to spend our emotional energy on the absurd. Because it, it makes no sense in the context of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk more about the kingdom next week and what it means to follow uh, and to seek after God's kingdom and God's righteousness. But in the context of God's kingdom, being anxious does not have a place. The fourth thing that Jesus wants us to consider, I believe, in this text this morning, is that the antidote to anxiety or for anxiety is preaching the truth to yourself every day. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Um, Another way of of saying it would be keep on seeking, continually be seeking, never stop seeking, always make as your practice seeking the kingdom of God. Let that be something that defines who you are in a person. What can my worry change about my life? Absolutely nothing. Will worry provide food or clothing or or a longer lifespan? Uh, Big hint here, Jesus says, no. Worry and anxiety doesn't address any of those issues. But that's what we preach to ourselves daily. That's the message we give to ourselves. If we're honest, and and maybe some of you are, are more spiritually mature than the rest of us, and you've moved past this, but at some point during the day, don't you don't you kind of get a notion, boy, I better I, I better be a little worried about this. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm a, I better feel uneasy about that until I kind of get it all figured out. And we and we kind of preach that message to ourselves. That that's kind of our, our daily devotional in a sense. Be worried about X. And if I'm not worried about it, then then I'm not paying attention to it. Rather, we preach the gospel to ourselves in a sense. God, you know what I need. God, you always provide what I need. So teach me. Teach me to to seek first your kingdom, which as I said, we're going to get into that a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, The 14th century German mystic, Johann Tauler, tells a story of, of meeting a beggar on the street one day and began to get into a conversation with him. Uh, and this is out of Stott's commentary in, in, uh, on the book of Matthew. So if you want to find it, you can, you can find it. I know some of you have purchased Stott's commentary. But he tells this story. Toller met a beggar, and he said to him, God, give you a good day, my friend, he said. The beggar answered, I thank God I've never had a bad one. Toller said, God, give you a happy life, my friend. I thank God, said the beggar, I am never unhappy. In amazement, Toller said, what do you mean? Well, the beggar said... When it is fine, I thank God. When it rains, I thank God. When I have plenty, I thank God. When I am hungry, I thank God. And since God's will is my will, and whatever pleases Him pleases me, why should I say I am unhappy when I am not? Toller looked at the man in astonishment. Who are you, he asked. 14th century, so it was before candid camera, you know, it couldn't, it could, or, or being punked. It couldn't have, been, couldn't have been one of those. I'm a king, said the beggar, and I think, oh, he's lost, he's lost his mind. He's talking to a crazy person, right? Where then is your kingdom, asked Toller. The beggar replied, in my heart. There's, there's something very true about that exchange when it comes to the question of anxiety. If we truly believe that God understands our needs and that God meets us right where we are, even in those moments of difficulty, even in those moments of pain, that we can trust Him. 
then like the beggar, we can say, when it's raining, I thank God. When, when I have enough, I thank God. When I feel like I don't have enough, I thank God. Why? Because I belong to his kingdom. His kingdom is in my heart. So to be aware of these things, what does that look like for you and me when we leave here today? It's nice to kind of think about them from a theoretical point, but is there a way to apply this? I want to give you three applications. The first is simply to identify the worry areas in my life. And follow up with a question, how will anxiety help with these situations? Some of us may be very, very worried about our finances, but we feel pretty good about our relationship with our spouse. Some of us may feel like our relationship with our spouse is really tough, but we're not really worried about our money. Every one of us is going to have a different answer to this question. Everybody isn't going to be concerned about the same things. There are some areas in my life where I, I don't really ever give it a second thought and other areas where I feel like I'm always consumed. So it would be a good exercise for each one of us to sit down and go through this passage and read it two or three times maybe this afternoon, asking God to make sure we understand where those areas where I tend towards the sin pattern. And if you can't come up with any and you're married, ask your spouse. They'll be more than happy to tell you because they know you well. That leads us to confession of sin, does it not? We prayed a prayer of confession before the sermon to kind of set our hearts in motion in that direction. So we can say to Father, I'm worried. I know I shouldn't be. Would you work in my life in order to then create an attitude of thanksgiving and also an attitude of desiring to help others. It begins to take our eyes off us and put our eyes on someone else. And then be busy every day with kingdom investment, which we're going to talk more about next week. But I know that, that every person who was here last Sunday has been listening very politely to the sermon and trying really hard to pay attention, but you've been wondering what happened to the $10 envelopes. You've been wondering if I am actually just going to ignore that and not tell you the outcome. And I was tempted just to see how many of you would come up and ask me afterwards, but I decided to be nicer than that this morning. For those of you that weren't here last week, in each of the services, uh, I took $10, uh, $100 in each service, put them in 10 different envelopes, and we put them in chairs. We scattered them around the room and had everybody look under their chair. And if they found the $10, that was their $10 to invest somewhere in the kingdom, to be busy somehow during the week with that $10. And then I asked them if they would please to email me some of the stories. What were some of the outcomes? And so I, I can't give you all of these stories. That I, we should put them on, on our website because they're, they're so tremendous. I can tell you that the $100, the $200 investment so far that I know of, and I haven't heard back from everybody, has, has almost turned into $1,000. It's almost five times more than, than what we started with that's being invested in a variety of different ministries. One person uh, bought some Bibles for Hope Unlimited. One person did a challenge thing with Jubilee and said, I'll match whatever people put in the envelope. I'll, I'll double it. And, uh, and that turn, went from $10 to actually $500. Um, we had uh, one person who um, said, I, a friend of mine has been very uh, sick and had surgery, and I've been meaning to take her some fruit. And I just hadn't gotten around to it, so I took the 10 bucks, I, I got the fruit, and it made me go talk to her, and it go made me hang out. And she, we had just an, a marvelous conversation. And she said her doctor had told her that uh, a day or two before, you need to eat more fruit and drink more water, right? So it's just some great stories. But I'm actually going to take a minute, I, I'd ask you to bear with me, I'm actually going to read to you two of these, because I think it helps us begin to turn the corner a bit. It begins to help us move away from being consumed with it and being thinking about being busy with the kingdom. 
So this is, uh, this is what one person wrote to me. People seated behind me gave me an additional $10, and I contributed to the cause as well. So we had 30 bucks. It was hard to decide what to do. I ended up buying three Bibles to give to Hope Unlimited that speak to three different age groups. The Action Bible is really cool. It almost looks like a comic book and will be full of great color art, but it is a Bible. <laughs> I love that little, but it is, Pastor, it's a Bible. According to the salesman, kids like it enough to take it to school with them. But what I really wanted to do was buy stamps. How could a pastor possibly get emotional about stamps? Well, wait till you hear what's coming. I wrote a letter to the people living in our new neighborhood where we're building, not my new neighborhood, but where the church is going to be, telling them about Green Tree Church and the beautiful invasion they were about to experience. I explained a little of our mission and then told them why I love Green Tree. I invited them to pay us a visit. I included a love letter from God to let them know how he feels about them. I just couldn't figure out how to get their names and addresses to send the letters. It made me sad because I wanted to join God in what he is doing at Green Tree. Seemed like the perfect thing. Uh, You can read the letter if you want. I've attached it. So I'm going to read the letter. And I also wrote this person back and said, we'll find the mailing list and make sure that this goes. And I'll buy the stamps if we need to. So this is what this person wrote. Dear neighbor. Actually, I'm not your neighbor yet, but will be soon. I'm a member of Green Tree Community Church, and we're building a new facility in your neighborhood. I was writing to let you know a little about us to invite you to come pay us a visit. At the moment, we meet at North Kirkham Middle School in the Bulldog Cafeteria. I love the Bulldog Cafeteria. We have, our staff has spent a lot of time the last week kind of looking ahead. I'm kind of going on on just a side note here. And look at all the stuff that we're going to do once the building's actually built, but now we have to move in. And I said, I, it isn't going to take too long for somebody to say, remember the good old days in the Bulldog Cafeteria? <laughs> uh, we have been meeting there for over 10 years, which lets you know we're a pretty down-to-earth group. Really, the point of our existence is to know and follow Jesus Christ. He is the main thing. Additionally, we work on planting churches and renewing communities. We have a lot of fun together. Personally, I go to Green Tree because it's a safe place to worship God. I can be just who I am, flaws and all, and the people there love me anyway. Pastors and elders often tell stories on themselves of how they reacted in a situation in a less than Christian way, just like the rest of us. The definitions of right and wrong that Jesus spoke are always honored and taught right alongside acceptance of our humility and the grace and mercy of God that meets our deepest needs. It just feels safe. I think it feels safe for most people whether they know Jesus already or just looking in the possibility of God's existence. And then she goes on to say, you can, you know, you can find more about us on our website. We're, here's when we think we're going to be moving in, and I've attached this letter. Being busy in investing in the kingdom of God. I'll give you one more, a little more lighthearted. I'm one of 20 people who received $10 from you last Sunday at church. If I'm honest, my first thought was, oh, yeah, free money. <laughs> However, I quickly adjusted my mind to thinking of how $10 could be invested. I was already taking your challenge seriously, and as a result, began to experience some anxiety. What if my investment didn't grow? What if I chose something that failed? I was ready to put the challenge aside for the moment. Then as I often do, uh, then as I do often in the beginning of September, I began dreaming of the cooler weather. I hate cooler weather, but the idea of putting away the summer clothing and getting out the cozy sweaters of fall is always exciting. What would my fall wardrobe look like this year? Excitement turned to resignation. I knew in my heart that beyond a couple of minor things, my wardrobe would look pretty much like it did last year. Some boring clothes, same boring shoes. But wait, wasn't I just handed 10 free dollars? (laughs) 
Well, $10 doesn't go very far. You're talking about new clothes. The thought intrigued me. Within a few minutes, I realized that those who had not received $10 were also taking your challenge seriously. Before I left the building, I had $75 in my hot little hands. Now we're talking. (laughs) Time to get back to the shortfalls within my fall wardrobe. New boots came to mind. $75 is a good start on new boots. I'm certain the boots are a component of the armor of God. I know what y'all are thinking. Why does this person preach every Sunday at Green Tree? <laughs> boots to share the good news, right? I can share the gospel when I wear them. They will be cute boots. People will stop me and say, cute boots. That's an opening to the conversation during which I can tell them about my investment. <laughs> this idea has legs. <laughs> and here's where it goes terribly awry. As my daughters and I were leaving church, I'm telling them about the challenge posed to the congregation and one posed to me. And I'm saying, we need to talk about a good idea for growing the money for the kingdom. My youngest turns to me with eyes as big as dinner plates saying, you mean like giving it to hope for Haiti? I wasn't even to the car yet. There went my boots. (laughs) There went my heart for this one God, for this one God has given me. She steals it. (laughs) Yes, baby girl. Like giving it to Hope for Haiti. You see, one of her best friends just moved to Haiti this summer with her brothers and her mom and her dad. They're on a mission with Hope for Haiti, opening a medical clinic. It's hard for my 10-year-old to understand their daily life, so different from her own. Why do they get to have their own, uh, why do they get to have their own machetes? (laughs) Wait, what is a machete? (laughs) What do you mean they don't always have electricity? How can they give someone stitches when all they have is headlamps for lighting? Why won't my friend email me back? Maybe she's grounded from the computer. We have decided to use the $75 to send necessary supplies to Hope for Haiti's medical project. It isn't much, but we feel confident this investment will grow. We miss our friends, but we believe in what they're doing there. They're making a difference the lives of Haitians. They're healing them and their children. They're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're doing it in the same shoes they wore last fall. Let's pray. Father, when we we read stories like that, anxiety just goes by the wayside because we're given a glimpse of heaven. We are given a glimpse of what it means to seek first the kingdom. We're shown your heart. And the only way we see that is because you reveal it to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't hide from us, that you don't neglect us, that you understand our proclivity to worry, and you call us to set all of that aside for an incredible adventure in building the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, may that be true in our lives. May that be true at Green Tree Community Church. We pray in your name. Amen.